Consummate Athlete seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hey guys, welcome back. So, Peter, what's shaking? Well, we are hot, I guess. It is a little steamy up here in Ontario this week. Yeah, I had to think about that for a second, but I guess that's sort of how I would summarize the last few days, but it's been good. We did the Cycle for Sight charity ride over the weekend, so Molly and I undertook four and a half hours of, what was that, a 60 mile or 100k of a very- Sheer hell. A gravel. We were describing, how do you know it's gravel or like how do you describe it to people? And I was saying it's very difficult because some people, a gravel road is like- when for normal like if, if a car can gra- drive on the road then that can be gravel but if a car can't drive there's that still gravel and and i say it's it's you know there's a span of people i'm someone who if there's a car driving on it i don't think it's it's even like gravel it's not aggressive enough um for those of so you we expose molly uh, to these type of roads for those of you who are cyclocross fans a solid 3k of it was basically the cockside course right right so look for that as a, a upcoming cyclocross clinic yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) i'm actually peter i'm not gonna lie i'm actually pretty ticked at you because it was such a golden opportunity for like amazing photos of me doing my best sonicant impression right and just nothing was that after the descent when you were looking very grumpy with me or that was on the descent you mean a little bit of both right (laughs) that's an inside cyclocross uh, joke look up sonicant on uh on google image search or something and Uh, compare that to a Molly Herford in- image search and see how yeah. that goes. Um, no, it was it was good. I mean, I definitely had some low moments. It was probably one of the harder rides I've done, honestly, ever. Um, certainly in the last year or so. So it was uh, it was an adventure, and the heat did not help. But you know, I, it's one of those things where I often don't really think too hard about like my mental side of things. And actually, maybe this is like a good segue into the show today. Yeah, I guess it um, all it all applies. We can it all cover applies. all the current events and stuff as we go through. Yeah, so I don't know. For me, it's been a really long time since I've been mentally pushed like that, where it was like, no, you have to get through this. Like, yeah, this sucks. Yeah, you feel like absolute crap, but you're going to have to keep going. Um, I really can't remember feeling quite that bad. Right. Um, even when I was doing that solo marathon a few weeks ago, you know, I had some low points, but I wouldn't say I had had a low four hours um yeah so it was i think really good for me to have to push through that and get it done and props to peter for never being like maybe we should cut this ride a little short or like maybe you could take the short way home i had a few times where i almost was like go on without me right well the key is to make a route that there is no short ride home but uh yeah we got it done and i think our our topic for today for our this is a friday episode right no i made that up and so our topic for today is that we're we're looking at limiters, which sounds negative, but I think whenever we're training for something, right? Whenever we're athletes, right? And I think we're all, uh, or a lot of us, that's an initial challenge is just considering ourselves athletes, right? Considering ourselves that we're training for something versus maybe we would differentiate between exercising, which is sort of like just moving inefficiently to, you know, burn calories or get some movement in during the day. You're not necessarily working towards any uh, obvious goal versus training towards a task. You're becoming fit for a certain task, right? That's the nature of training is that we're trying to become fit 
for a certain task. Right, right. And we've talked a bit about the difference between fitness and health. Um, for a lot of us, they do overlap, but we're looking to become fit for a task. So in that, we're all good at some things and we're all not as good at some things, right? We have some limiters perhaps in a sport. And and the cool thing with limiters is they actually evolve. You can actually get rid of a limiter by just switching your discipline or switching your sport. Yeah, for sure. No, I, yeah, like to come back to the mental limiter, I would have actually said I didn't have a mental limiter, but I found where my, where mine was. Right. And I think the hardest of people, right? If you look at like the seal buds camp or something like that, right? Like they can break really, really strong mentally strong people right the majority i don't know what the actual numbers are but the a lot of people quit right which who who would probably define themselves because these are the elite of the elite of people who probably have never quit and that is their like one of their main personal characteristics is they don't i mean geez i've even buzzed my head like demi more in gi jane and i still almost quit that bike ride yeah and i think endurance athletes are are good at enduring right that's what you've done you've chosen a path in sport that's let you endure things right whereas like if you looked at say maybe uh like a team sport or something that's more intermittent you get breaks right so endurance is not necessarily not that they don't work hard certainly they do and often they have great endurance but it's a different feeling right we all know that friend who's very good at sprinting one hill or a couple of hills but if you pedal at the same speed for an hour they would they would quit right right so we're looking at limiters today and we're going to broaden this out because you could look at limiters just as strictly like bike power or run pace or something like that. Very physiological. But you, you've mentioned already we started with mental, which I think is good. Yeah. And I really so I really like limiters to kind of come back to your your it's not a negative thing. I think it's awesome because so many of us will just train what we're good at. Like we we really like doing a certain type of workout or type of training or whatever that's just kind of plays to our strengths and you know that'll get us you know to a certain level in racing and and in our sport but at some point it's actually like easier to train the limiter you get a much better return on investment um if you're training the thing that you're not as good at like it might not be as fun it right you know it's it's like eating your brussels sprouts before you get to eat your dessert and it's but... contentious i think you, you could have a very good like uh philosophical debate about if it's easier like if it's worth training your limiters versus your strengths right and i think this would be like you know the old coaches sitting there drinking a scotch or something like this and they might reflect on you know why train limiters right so you'd have one camp might say like oh well it's going to make the athlete feel bad about themselves and so why would you do that uh and then the other camp is like sort of what you're describing where it's like well it's you know the limiter right it's the thing that in the race that's where you get beat right and i think it's like anything there's not doesn't need to be two camps we can all drink scotch and be happy <laughs> right it's it's you can't have a limiter that's costing you your goal something that's so debilitating like you just never eat so we could have a nutritional one you don't eat on any workouts and you're trying to do a hundred miler and you're bonking at 60 miles every time right yeah. like, this is a nutritional limiter that's limiting you from finishing the goal right but I think we want to always maintain and keep our strengths and play to our strengths, pick our events maybe to our strengths. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so we have this middle ground, right? So I like your point about the it's difficult mentally to train a limiter. So, yeah, it sucks. And when we were talking about this yesterday, we were talking about with your training. Um, intervals, literally any interval. You were classic endurance athlete, just, you know low and slow and you just kept it going all you know you could run a long time and you three inches off the ground at most not a lot of breathing hard you know 
walked if the hill got really steep and just kept the effort sort of stable and you'd run for as long as you could and this conditioned your body for running you haven't had many injuries in your running history so it's been very good for you and your strength now is that you have like an all-day pace that's actually pretty respectable right um thanks dear but the next step for you once you wanted to start racing and certainly you you sort of start hitting a plateau which would another way to look at limiters would be like hey are you still improving right a lot of us when we're beginners i always say it's just you just need to do it a bunch and it doesn't really matter right everything will help you get better yeah exactly. but then you start seeing a plateau and you're like well i want to get faster so then you've started working now with david uh to coach you and who we've had on the podcast a couple, a couple times. times now with happy runner book and he's sort of started sprinkling strides and different intervals and stuff in where you're having to go quite fast. And that's, um, you know, something that then opened up more ability to do your strength better. The, the problem was we couldn't, we kept hitting that. The, sometimes you use like the uh, a two or three storied home to describe like your different thresholds. So you have like your endurance threshold, then the classic like anaerobic threshold. And then maybe you talk about VO2 max. So there's like three floors. Is VO2 max on the roof? The, it's the roof. Yeah. So we talk about sometimes you got to like raise the roof, right? Because your classic endurance athlete is going to get so fit at that all day pace that it's basically their anaerobic threshold. These are the people that like if you accelerate for, you know, a minute, they're, they're cracked. Right, right. They blow up instantly. They were completely fine a minute ago, and now they're done. <laughs> they, they have to stop. And then they could probably keep going if you gave them a minute to recover at that same exact same pace, right? Mm-hmm. So they have no what we might call anaerobic capacity. Right, right. Right? So when, with your intervals, you've opened up. You've raised that second story of maybe the threshold or maybe of the VO2, or, or David might describe that as like a neuromuscular, like just the ability for your muscles to contract faster. Um, so that then you can go faster all day. Yeah. And I will add that at no point do I enjoy these workouts. Yeah. So that was a piece of the mental preparation we talked about was that you sort of structure your week a little bit around those, we might call them key workouts or breakthrough workouts or interval workouts. Yeah. And as we were talking about it, it was funny. I was realizing like the worst part of the workout for me isn't even really the going hard. It's honestly like the 20 minutes beforehand where I'm like getting ready to go hard. Um, and once I'm in it, I'm in it and it's fine. Yeah. 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 Um, It takes some discipline. It takes some willpower. Yeah. And so I think some of it is, is the scheduling of the days that you work on the limiters is very helpful because you need to be focused. So this isn't maybe like end of day Friday where, where the most important work it is. You might want to put the most important thing Tuesday morning before work or something, where you've had a rest day and it's not so late in the week that you're mentally drilled. It's not after maybe after a long day at work and with the kids and everything else. Um, and and maybe you have to do that and maybe it just, you know that, that it's coming. Right. And then for you, you're always thinking about like the Wednesday long run when you can go back and just grind it out. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So we have the house analogy. Uh, we talked about sort of what roughly limiters and strengths. We talked about mental limiters um, so we talked a bit about, do you want to go to physiological limiters now I think so. or let's, skill limiters? Let's hit physiological because skill I'm really excited for. So I want to save that for last. Okay. Well, I mean, we talked about the house analogy, so hopefully that's making sense to people. If you picture sort of like a house with a roof and then there's like the floor for the second story and maybe we have to do a three. This is weird because I'm not actually this drawing house this. house is getting much taller. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we have to do three stories, but anyhow, there's three ceilings and 
the as you raise one your endurance increases you hit the threshold and then if the threshold if you just only did threshold eventually you'd run into maybe another one above that right we might call that vo2 max or anaerobic or something um, and depending on the event those might be great adaptations right we with a triathlete or something like that they don't need much anaerobic capacity they just need to go really fast for a long time right so you'd actually want that all-day pace right up against that threshold right right um, so again that's where you could you could compete based on your strengths and, and not necessarily do much work. Uh, but we get into that question of do you, when you're training, is it always super specific, right? So that triathlete might do a bunch of intervals um, early in the season to try and raise up that roof so that then they can let just like we described with Molly, right? So they might work on those limiters further away from the event. And then as you get closer to the event, you start a working on the event specific needs, but then also making sure your strengths are there so that you can be strong. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's that. So maybe if we dive in a bit more on some signs and symptoms. Yeah. Like what, how do you, how does one know what one's limiters are? Right. So, I mean, I think let's even, yeah, should we run this out? But let's even say, so like you have your person who we talked about bonking, you know, so you have a nutritional limiter, right? You have gastrointestinal issues. So we just had our happy, happy gut. No, what was that? Athletes gut. Athletes gut. I apologize. Um, We're like combining the happy runner and the yes. athletes Yes. Oh, gut. two great books. Yeah. Um, right. And so, or you're the person who had, I had a client actually describe this to me yesterday. I was like, perfect. You're starting to figure it out. He said, you know, I really need to work on my, my positive self-talk. You know, I've been really like beating myself up during intervals and stuff. And, you know, I think his training was going great, but then there's this other layer that often coaches don't know about if there isn't good commentary and, and communication that like you could have the same set of intervals, the same long run. But if you were just like abusing yourself verbally the whole time, how you suck, you should be faster. There's all these factors, right? Like that's a limiter because uh, in David's, if we just keep talking about the happy runner, right? Like we want the training to be joyful, right? Like a lot of the training shouldn't be demoralizing it shouldn't be really like you talked about not going deep mentally in a long time right like most of the training workouts shouldn't be driving you deep into like the hole of like i'm you know <laughs> i'm so tired and i don't know if i'll make it through right although you know what though i think some sometimes it should this might be like an unpopular well, I agree. sometimes it should this is a very unhappy runner opinion it's not really here. a definite stance you need to say every day it should if we're gonna have an argument yeah yeah <laughs> uh, I think like the positive self-talk is super important but I think actually for for me I find I maybe need more of that like negative self-talk because you're gonna run into it in a race at some point in time so having that like <laughs> honestly having Saturday be like a hard ride for me where I was in a pretty dark place for a lot of it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me because now when we're, you know, running LaCloche and we're an hour eight or whatever, yeah, uh, to kind of at least remember what that feeling feels like and be like, I've gotten out of this before. And know that it's normal, right? So you're maybe a person who we wouldn't say is super limited by that until maybe you get to the race. So your symptom might be in the race, you started being doubtful once we get into the middle of the race. We call that like the valley of death, right? Where Ah, the inverted you. Uh, okay, that's just a regular you. This would be maybe a regular you, but so you start the race, everyone's really fresh and like peppy, but then you realize like you see that like 60 miles to go or like halfway and you're like, oh, I th this feels like it doesn't feel like I would expect it to feel at halfway. 
And so people will let their pace drop, right? And that's where in our training, we need to be very mentally strong, but also have practiced our pacing with hill intervals and long runs and everything else where we're so in tune to our body and so good at enduring that we can almost irrationally say at halfway when our brain's like, man, I don't know if you're going to hold on to this. You can say, no, you've done this a lot of times. We're going to keep fueling and keep on our pace. And you know, it's going to get even harder, but you also know that it, it'll probably start feeling better at periods. And you know, the, the, the gamble you're making is that the, the, the view of that finish line banner, you know, the 10 K to go, the one K to go, the Mm -hmm. five, whatever the number is, that's, we all get that spike, right? And so that's the valley of death is like someone thinks they're like bonking at the halfway point and then they get all peppy, you know, towards yep, the end. Yep. They start catching people maybe. So we're trying to minimize that valley of death through our pacing and through our nutrition and through our, our mental self-talk, which is what we're we're on here, right? So I think in the training, you have to elicit that. And that's, we talked about seal buds, right? So we, that was your, your Sunday you yeah. had to. Yeah, you do have to let yourself go to the dark place on occasion, I think. Right, so then maybe a sign for that mental limiter is like if all your workouts are are either like demoralizing and you like have, you're, you're well aware that you yell at yourself constantly and you're the person that like screams and throws your bike down or something like that, right? There might be like some wasted energy, some wasted mental energy or physical energy, some tension that you could make progress. I mean, it's not going to be easy, but it's the type of thing going into a workout where you're, you know, thinking, oh, I have these keywords or these focuses. So I always talk about like, what's next in mountain biking? That's if I get, start thinking about, oh, someone's watching or I fell and I need to get back. It's what's next. Right. What's the next section? What's the next line? What's the next, you know, thinking, I don't necessarily think of what gear I'm in, but like get back rolling in that like flow state, trying to get back to that flow state where you're thinking about the relevant cues right? Not so much about the external, like other stuff that are irrelevant cues, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I think for a lot of people, it's, they get a, a, away from that, right? Which yeah. is tough in those, these long events, right? You're gonna, your mind has to wander, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess for, for the mental limiters, you almost need to make sure that you're within like a week or a training block, you're having like mostly good, like self-talk and like feelings and stuff. But that you also do hit the other end of the spectrum and have a couple where like right. you've pushed to your limit and you're wondering if you can finish. Well, I guess the interesting thing is, so when I have a new client come, and this is not revolution, this is what most coaches would do. You have a new client come, you sort of look at what they've been doing and then you can basically just do what they're not doing and they should see a benefit for a while, right? The question and the test of the coach and the coaching process is once you've got filled the gaps, so to speak... Right. Right. So for Molly, the strides are going to be revolutionary, but like at what point do we have to, what's next? Right. So that, that's sort of the, the challenge to a coach. So the, the first little bit often you're going to have an extra belief in the coach and the coaching process. There's a change, but just, it's really that change. So I think what you're saying is like by training well and in a balanced way, you're going to have very hard days and very easy days. And most of the days are going to be easy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's maybe a good, good indicator if every day just feels like if you finish every run just feeling like absolutely fantastic and super happy and you never had like a low point, that might be an indicator that you're actually not pushing to your physiological limits. Yeah. And I don't know that those people exist hugely. Do you feel like that's where you were? Uh, I'd say, I'd say, yeah, like it's sometimes kind of hard on like my Wednesday workout, say to like actually push to where I come back and I'm feeling like 
like I well, you're really saying hit now, my limit. Yeah. Like now you feel like the Wednesday endurance is hard after the, the hard day. Yeah. But also just like in, in general, it's, it's hard for me to like really go into a workout and like truly actually push um, and get to that place mentally where I'm like, I don't think I can go any harder. I don't think I can do this. Oh God, I can't do this because I think like I have a governor in my head that like just kind of keeps me at that, like just 5% easier than like I can go. So I always feel good. Yeah. And I had a client I just got off the phone with um, and, and he was saying, Oh, well, well, I was just wondering what's the purpose of hill intervals. And it was a great question. He had a couple friends who were like debating this on a ride. I think I had made a plan for the, one of the friends. And so that guy had interpreted, this was actually great because the one guy had interpreted the hill intervals that the most important thing was the intensity, but he did it on flats because he could get like a straight stretch that he was doing these intervals on. And it was supposed to be like, whatever, four minute intervals or something on a hill. Uh, that was supposed to be hard. His other friend decided that the hill, this was like a, a skill or a positional drill. And it was just, you had to climb some hills that were four minutes long. He wasn't so concerned about the intensity. It was more the setting. Oh my God. This is like an Aesop's fable. Yeah. So I was like, so you're going to tell me hopefully that you're the guy in the middle who's going hard on the hills. Right. <laughs> um, and, and so we, we had a conversation about like some people just don't have hills and they have to do the best they can on flats or whatever. Um, but like, indeed, like part of it is that we're, there's a mental aspect that like, when we look at training, there's a skills and that's a big, my bias is much towards like, it's the skill of climbing hills really hard and really fast must be practiced irrelevant of the fitness that must be practiced because everyone wants to climb faster. There's obviously a fitness component, um, you know, an intensity component. Uh, where was I going with that? I think so. Then what he then is going to take from that is that then he can go and work on the skill of hill climbing very fast so that then he is increasing his fitness, but also his, his skill. Right. 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 Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Let's talk about the actual, like you've broken it into three sort of physical limiters from right. a physiological standpoint. Right. Right. So this is in the article. Yeah. yeah. We'll post. So, it's, so we have an article over on consummateathlete.com that has sort of all these limiters and some sort of yeah. quick hit suggestions. M more laid out. Hey, fans and loyal listeners of the Wide Angle Podium. It's Rob Kelly, the host of No Training Wheels. Please join me and the rest of the Criterium Nation as we explore the best that domestic road racing has to offer. In each episode, we meet and hear from the racers, teams, promoters, and people that make the American road scene exciting and engaging, and go beyond the results to talk about the how and why of racing that fascinates us all. So subscribe to No Training Wheels anywhere you get your podcasts, for a full archive of episodes, please visit our website, No Training Wheels Pod, or follow us on Twitter at NT Wheels Pod, or on Instagram at No Training Wheels Pod. Uh, right. So it's really those three, we, we call them ceilings or thresholds, right? So there's like your neuromuscular and speed. So this would be like your sprints and your strides and, you know, that sort of thing. So it's like 30 seconds hard or 10 seconds hard where you're just really contracting muscles really, really fast. Uh, usually cadence or turnover is pretty high. And you're really working maximally, right? So this is like up over even the sort of VO2 max where the speed is, is such that you're able to really, really move and really work on that, that contraction speed and what we might call coordination, right? And so you see that in a lot of endurance athletes that there isn't a lot of 
if there's any acceleration, they can't spin up the gear or they can't sprint a little up a climb, right? And and for mountain bikers, this is very limiting because we do have to surge over things. And that is the most efficient way to clear it. You know, two or three seconds of hard pedaling or spinning up can often make, you know, 20 seconds of coasting, whereas the the sort of low and slow people will shift into their their easy gear and grind up the hill. It'll take 20 seconds to grind up the hill. I feel personally attacked. And then their, their speed at the top of the hill won't be as high, so they don't get that 20 seconds of coasting, right? We had a friend, Mike Garrigan, who's a good good friend from way back, and he was legendary for just how... I once f- saw the man go from the back yeah, of the... Yeah, his start back- power back of the start at Gloucester to somehow the whole shot. Yeah. In, gr- in like an eight row. Yeah. Elite so in the elite, like the people who specialize in getting off the line quickly and everyone is going irrationally fast. Like he put in, and I've seen him do this multiple times over his career, just like lengths o- over the best people. I sincerely believe that he won Canadian cross nationals in three pedal yeah. strokes. Yeah. The first three pedal strokes were the key ones. And then he coasted. Uh, so that's neuromuscular speed. So I think that's something that we want to keep sprinkled in. And it's really not most people, if they just sprinkled in as warm ups, you know, maybe you're doing, you're a big threshold sweet spot type person. Maybe you sprinkle it into the warm up, right? Um, maybe you finish the odd ride with it. Maybe you do a, like a sign sprints type workout. Uh, if you're someone who's really limited by it, then I think you definitely want to put in some time doing some high RPM drills. Um, so this is your, a lot of people on the trainer in the winter will do something like that. Uh, and you might do like a formal sprint workout, right? And, and the people doing criteriums or cyclocross or any of the shorter durations, like this should be important, like in your, your training for sure. Right. But it's often left out in favor of something like sweet spot. This, you guys have to go read this article over on consummateathlete.com because it's the way Peter has written it is hilarious. It reads like one of those quizzes that you would take when you were like a kid where it's yes, like... Yes, when a young boy was like just yeah, sort of reading through the... When he, yeah. when a young boy was reading through like his sister's Seventeen magazine yeah, or something. Yeah, okay, good. Um, they'd be like, if you're mostly A's, you... So for example, the neuromuscular one is symptoms. You love to grind at low RPMs, dislike high speed or flat riding, and may find you take a long time to warm up. <laughs> It just goes on like that. And it's it's actually fantastically written, but I feel like I was reading this one and I'm like, I feel personally attacked by this first. Yeah, the, the time to warm up is definitely like one that I always am a little suspect of because usually there isn't much intensity in the warm up and, and that is like a good quality in a warm up. Like hard hills you dislike, but longer climbs where you can grind away, feel fine. Right. Oh, crap. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> and like they're good. Like they always say like, oh, wait till five hours in and I'll be better. It's like, no, everyone else has just sort of given up or something. Yeah, right? I think the ultimate irony is your prescription for that is like cyclocross or crit racing forces you to do a lot of those and will make you better. And the only kinds of bike racing I've ever really done are cyclocross and crit <laughs> Has racing. not resolved Molly's limiter. And I still just suck. Well, you get hard cases. So yeah, I think the thing I tried to do in this, this article was give you some like ideas of workouts you might do as we just talked about, but also just like sometimes it's just trying a different discipline can be helpful. Right. And, and that's when we look at kids and their long-term development, we often are encouraging multiple disciplines to try and help them find, you know, the good discipline for them to pursue, but also to get exposure to all these different skills, right? Obviously, like if you go from the span of BMX racing or a short-term track racing up to, a longer road race or something, right? There's a lot of right. stuff. And we, I, there wasn't even necessarily like, if we include BMX, there's skills, obviously. 
Um, so that, so muscular endurance is like our threshold limiter. So these are people who have not been maybe doing a lot of sort of extended efforts or a lot of extended climbing, um, you know, aren't sweet spot necessarily advocates or are maybe too low on the sweet spot scale. Aren't like really getting into discomfort for a long time. Um, did you want to... Well, I thought this one was interesting because uh, the one thing you say is you may adopt a higher RPM to avoid muscular tension. Right. And that to me is like such an interesting one because it's uh, as a low cadence person, it's I'm always perplexed by the, uh, the high spinners, but I, th- I never really thought of it as a limiter before. Yeah. And it like might sign. Yeah. So you might be someone who like, you'll see this at a race. If you sit and watch more at a mountain bike race, but if you sit and watch people, as the field goes on and the people you get towards the back of the pack, you'll start seeing these spinners and their cadence looks really abnormally high for how fast they're going. Their cadence might actually be the same as the people at the front, right? And this is where it's tough to have like a universal, we all ride at 90 RPM because sometimes like a lower RPM at a lower speed is fine. Um, And it just looks aesthetically. And I don't know if that's, I don't think it's a coach's eye. I think if you sat there and really purposefully watched RPM, you'd see that someone is moving but they're pedaling so fast that it looks comically high. It's like when a car has spinners on the wheels, but is going at like 10 miles an hour. It's like a weird trick, like a visual trick. Right. Yeah. And and so with those people, like instantly, if you said shift one harder and they shifted one harder, they would start going fast, which probably makes sense, but their cadence will come down, but they will, they will go fast for a time during the event. Now you've changed during the event. So this is risky. Don't necessarily yacht someone in the event, but if they train like that, right? So this is the person who probably needs a cadence monitor to keep them under say 90 or something sometimes, because in mountain biking, a lot of disciplines, you actually are going to be, you're going to meet that RPM. There's no way around it. Um, so these are the people that sometimes it's that muscular endurance, that contraction against force. That's not maximal. It's moderate, but it's hard if that makes sense, right? Not hard in the the sense of RP scales, but it's moderate, like it's not maximal. Um, But that would be your spinners are a classic. They hate muscle tension. So really steep climbs that are really hard, they would hate those. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and I think the answer is like, sometimes you just need to go and do some, especially if your discipline is something like time trial or cyclocross that really rewards, you know, hurting for a long time. And again, this is where we get into the physiological versus the mental, right? If we, if we haven't, if we've avoided any 10 to 30 minute efforts in our training, that's going to be mentally really hard, right? Our hockey players often will hate that. If you give them 30 thirties for 30 minutes, they'll be fine. But if it was 30 minutes at a set output, they'll, the muscular tension gets too high. Right. And is that mental or physical? It's probably a bit of both. I think that one's a really tricky one because it's it is like it's the one in the middle, right? Like it's it's a really weird one to to focus on as a limiter because it, it's not too hard, it's not too easy. It's right. It's very odd. It's too hard for the one set of people, the all day, you know, go all day people. Mm-hmm. It's too hard because you're breathing hard, right? Like this yeah. is where that like the talk test you failed the talk test. Um, but it's not sprinting, right? So then your sprinters, your hockey players, your team sports athletes, your really muscle, you know, muscly people tend to really like mountain biking, right? They crunch up the 10 second climb, then they get to rest. Yep. Right. So it's, it's, it, it is in the middle. And I think for cycling, especially like you sort of have to do it, even if you're, I think even your polarized people, right? Like this is their, the classic Steven Seiler's four by eights. Even I think I would chalk into this because it's long enough that you like, there's no hiding, right? 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then the last, uh, the last physiological one you have as aerobic endurance. Yeah, so limited by aerobic endurance. So this would not be your ultra runners, right? This would be... Your opposite of ultra runners. Yeah, and again, this may be fine. If you're a track racer or a BMX rider, you actually don't want to. And this is, we haven't talked about this, but the people who are very like sprint-oriented don't necessarily want to do a ton of endurance, right? This is like this the weight lifters, like your bodybuilders or like even like power lifters, right? Like people who are lifting the most amount of weight in the world. They would need to be very cautious with cardio, right. but they're at the poles, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd say for the most part, our listeners aren't like are going to want more of like a well-rounded athleticism, hence the consummate athlete um, versus like a highly specific one. Yeah. So having none of us are getting paid to lift a thousand pounds on our yeah. back. And I mean, what counts as an aerobic or endurance base for for one person might not be the same. Important, for yeah. Like for a hundred miler versus even even like a marathoner, your yeah. endurance is going to be different. Yeah, and that's like my hot button topic is like how much endurance do we need to do? Right, I've I'm pretty big on that, like ninety minutes to three hours, and 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 there's the cans of people do more, but I'm pretty like. I go more on that consistency train of just like, if you can roll a three hour ride, that's really good. And like event specific, like it's got some technical gravel in it. If you're a gravel racer um, and you can absorb that and maybe do intervals in that, like to me, that's because then you can do it all week basically. Right? Yeah. Well, and that was actually one of my favorite things that David said, David Roshan was on our podcast last, uh, I think that was last month. And we'll link to that one maybe in the show notes. I will note that. Yeah. He, uh, he talked about, you're, there's no right weekly mileage, right? Like Claire Gallagher won Western States on a like and never really went over 60 miles in a week of training. Um, so it's not necessarily like one number or one like one hour or whatever. It's it's what works for you and like what counts as like aerobic endurance for you. Yeah, and that's again we're we're talking about like physiological versus performance limiters, right? And we could divide this out even further and we would make it more complicated but sometimes you have a physiological limiter like you don't uh you know you, your endurance is not good but you you could also have a, a performance limiter like maybe you can't ride 200 miles right and they could be related um but one is like more performance oriented right so the thing is with my three hour things you might be like oh well why why is that the thing well the question is like if you're trying to get a physiological benefit right how much time riding at zone two if we're gonna believe zone two or whatever um, or at 140 beats heart rate how long do you need to run to stimulate your physiology to adapt so build more mitochondria more capillaries at some point you know or deplete glycogen at some point there there's been a signal to your body that like hey you need to stimulate your body more right to in become better at using um, using fat for fuel, using oxygen, right? For aerobic activity. So how much do we need to do? And then the the question is like, this is the inverted U. When does, when does our U. curve, so our curve goes up. So if you run for 10 minutes, you get 10 units of benefit and then it increases. And then what I'm surmising is that somewhere like 90 minutes, maybe it's starting to, you know, we've gotten pretty good benefit. And then three hours is like, that's a pretty good, like, benefit for your time but then at some point the curve doesn't keep going up right and this is like the thought experiment is like is five hours better is six hours better like are you still getting better at endurance as as your sunday long ride becomes 
24 hours, right? Like at some point, the benefit for another minute can't be another unit, arbitrary unit, right? Right. So that's what I'm suggesting is that like, we all have these curves and none, a few of us are like just world-class, like train full-time, whatever. So I suggest that we have this like adaptive capacity is what I'm trying to call this, where at some point there's actually like a decrease. And if we had done less, we could actually have the same benefit because the curve's going down now, right? It's inverted U. Um, you could have done less to get the same benefit. And that could still mean that that person's able to ride, to perform, to do a hundred mile ride. Right. Even though a lot of their rides were three hours. We don't need mm-hmm. to prove the performance every time because we're working on the physiological limiters here. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's maybe, maybe we should put that at the beginning, but it's, it's in there anyhow. So we figure, finish off endurance here before we get too far afield. Um, or do you think we're good? I think we're good on that. Okay, I mean, I think this is like your sprinters. The people who like to go short tend to not like to go long, right? So, or you don't do a lot of, the classic I see with clients when I know that this is going to be an issue is, A, do they do rides that are 90 minutes to three hour with any, right? A lot of us are like one hour in the morning or something and you squeeze, you know, maybe your weekends are pretty limited too. And and that's, sometimes we can work around that and sometimes you can't. And there's different, you know, things we can sort of play with to try and enhance that. Um, you, you, this might be where you'd group in some of the like sugar burners, like the people who are just like really like sugar oriented, not in any like carbs are bad way, but like just the people that like really run on, on a lot of sugar. And there can be some things like maybe cleaning up the diet can help our endurance. Right. And sometimes that's not intuitive that that's linked to endurance. Um, but the people you see who are like diets really not great and they're maybe getting into, you know, their thirties, their forties, whatever, that's where sometimes that endurance, some of the benefit we can see in fat burning, quote unquote, or endurance. This is not to say go keto. No, it's really just, again, cleaning up that diet. More vegetables, like just foods, whatever you want to call a good diet. Ooh, I want a side note here. Um, si- sidebar. Um, so we, I am like not really a salad eating person. Like don't. You were going to fit this in somehow, I was going to fit okay. this in somehow. Okay. Um, so tip to clean up your diet. Hot side tip, bar. guys. Um, yeah, so I, I really don't love salads overly much. I, I find them annoying. Um, I find them pretentious. <laughs> but anyway, um, Peter's been kind of like on a, hey, it's hot out. Can we please have salad and yeah, not no all more these? stew. No more stew. Can we please stop Goulash. with stew? Uh, I love stew. Um, but anyway, I, I realized, I, I tried to think about like, okay, when, when have I liked having salad? And I thought back to uh, this one place in Costa Rica, like had really beautiful salads, like just very like nicely presented, very colorful, very tasty. We even have two places, three places here in town that similar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sort of um, your vegan whatever type restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. But specifically, when you'd go to the place in Costa Rica, the bowls that they were served in were just just like nicer, bigger salad bowls. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we just have like, you know, your normal soup bowl and then your normal like plate. Um, so I, I think part of my part of my limiter, if you will, around having salad was salad on a plate is just kind of lame. Like it just it falls everywhere. It just doesn't look as nice. It's. Not very Instagrammy. Well, and I guess the other, the person who, the, so say someone's going to try and address their aerobic limiter, they don't have a lot of time to train. So one of the ways to go after it is, can we clean up the diet? Is there something, again, this is not rocket science. It's what can you improve or the Greg Lehman, how can you become a healthier person? Um, you know, and, and that should help us improve in some way. So your salad might be, maybe if you get a big honking bowl, that's really nice and aesthetically nice. And you get some of those nice, we were talking about like, 
chickpeas we were gonna roast them up so mm-hmm. some of these nice fixings that they would use at these restaurants we've taken yeah. some screenshots or photos i guess of some of the menu boards because they had sort of the ingredients in the salad and we were like well why can't we just make this delicious salad at home to to, to some degree so maybe the person who's like wants to clean up their diet is just like you get your beautiful bowl and you make this like big honking salad right and, and that's one meal and you just try and sub that out yeah exactly so yeah anyway long story short i went out i got these like you know four dollar salad bowls but they're lovely they're just like very pretty and now i am so much happier having salads for dinner because it just it feels more like a thing when i sit down to this beautiful looking salad right and i'm putting more time into it you know like using the cheese grater with a beet and like getting some shredded beets and carrots and all these other little things and instead of just being like here's a handful of kale and some chicken on top of it deal with it yeah and it, it's pretty tasty like i was saying to you like a lot of people wouldn't go to i'm gonna call it a vegan restaurant but some of them are not vegan or, or even vegetarian you can get like fish or something but like a healthy you know salad type restaurant um but most people would go there and be able to eat the food and be like oh this was fine like maybe they wouldn't yeah. go there on their own but like the food is good, right? And I think that's it is sort of that way to trick yourself into to getting that. And so we'll we'll pull this boat back into the lane or the whatever, well the show back on track. I'll throw a link to my favorite salad bowl into the show notes. Okay. And so aerobic. So we're talking about nutrition, cleaning that up. I think sleep. We know that blood glucose gets affected by poor sleep, so maybe there's something we can clean up with that. Um, and then there is just more time on the bike and more time at that dreaded, like under 75% or under that first turn point of lactate, um, or in your more zone one, you know, maybe some zone two, uh, depending on what your definition of zone two is, um, just working aerobically for extended times, right? It might require a mountain biker to ride the road. So that was one of the points I made, like when mountain bikers, like pure mountain bikers come to me, that's one of our first things. And it might just be riding your mountain bike on a gravel path where you don't get to coast, aerobic right the legs don't get to recharge that you know oxygen while you're you're putting that low burn on you don't get to coast right so sometimes it's it's as much time as it is just what is this how much do you spend coasting right like that's another one like when people come in their time crunch then you can like look at their power file power is the best usually for it how much time does someone spend coasting in the week and it's like if you live in the city i bet you, you coast probably half the time you ride that is depressing. Um, yeah, and it is. You'd almost don't want to tell people about it. But again, can we tweak that? Can you ride your mountain bike in the city is my one hack? Can you get onto paths so there's less traffic lights? Can you make right-handers at traffic lights? There's lots of ways around this. Um, but we're just trying to get increase your ability to go long, right? And I think for a lot of people, if we you know prescri- ascribe to uh, polarized or to 80-20 or to mafetone or to most systems are largely routed rooted in in aerobic right in that endurance based training most of the training is low intensity and not putting you into a hole mm-hmm. right and that's again getting back to that mental thing is i think we we get into this time crunch thing where every workout is driving us into a hole and i think that the trick and this is another limiter is the under recovered athlete Right. So the thing you would actually change as the coach when they came to you would be like, well, you don't take any days off or you're training moderately every single day or you're obviously very tired and like maybe injured or sick often. Right. So that would be our other limiter is the the fatigued athlete. 
right. right? Who could present really as any of these. You would suspect that it's more in the neuromuscular, but maybe not, right? Like you have some people that are so wired up like that, that they could sprint well, like just because they get, they're so aggressive and like, again, muscle fiber wise, they're so there. Right. Um, and what you were saying is like, as a coach, part like your hardest thing is actually like slowing people down or like stopping people basically in that case, like having people actually take rest days. Well, there's so much tied up in exercise, right? Like it's, if it was just putting in workouts that said spin faster, that'd be easy. But like, we all like, you know, burn off energy, right? So the people go out and try and ride their stress out every single day. Right. And so it's trying to find that balance where we're not you know, spinning the top, so to speak, like you're already spun up from work and stressed. Probably the worst thing you could do most days is like really drill yourself into the ground because right? it's just more stress in the, the cup. Right. Right. What you actually would want is something more aerobic that's more parasympathetic or like rest and digest. So like just relaxing, um, that's less, you know, it would be more stimulating to a higher HRV we could say, right. Or, or the central nervous system isn't isn't fatigued by that right whereas like an interval workout probably everyone's done that or lifted a super heavy deadlift like you you feel it mentally almost and so that's where central nervous system the brain like i've had a couple deadlifts in my life when i've been consistent with strength training and where like i felt it and it was one deadlift right yeah um and so i think the, the message is like just trying to find that consistency in workouts but also the variety in the workouts where not every day is is trying to spin the top so hard but spinning it in all these different ways we're talking about right yeah for sure so the only one then so we have mental we have the three physiologicals we have the fatigued athlete yeah we kind of and we kind of touched on like lifestyle with nutrition and stuff too but i think the the last one we want to talk about today is the technical skills sure because i mean man when you're talking about like kind of almost the most obvious limiter but also the one that's the least worked on yeah it's weird I would say this is bike skills yeah and it's weird I, I always sort of like the the whiny bike coach in me is always like well people like adults will pay for uh, and seek out uh coaching for swimming or for golf Right. right like this is there, normal you, yeah. you're going to see a golf pro right like this no one would like even question that right because like and I think it's because the endpoints are like, well, you didn't, you, you, you cannot make contact with a golf ball. This is super embarrassing. When you go golfing, you would go see a golf pro swimming. The, the endpoints are quite hard on that one, right? Like you bottom of the lake. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully you've been retrieved. So with biking, you would think the endpoints because it's pretty dangerous, especially for like the off-road disciplines. But I mean, even cars, right? I, I don't want to crash on the road um no and i mean i'll say like there's a lot of people out riding right now and that's fantastic but watching some of the people and how they ride is honestly terrifying so i think though what happens is that the endpoints well like yes you can think of that but most people get proficient enough at riding that like they can sort of get their way through and they sort of ignore aches and pains or crashes or the fact that they're taking the ride arounds the bee lines the chicken lines right on everything right or or maybe that they're bashing their wheel into things or damaging their bike often right so these are symptoms of our technical limiter right um so when we look at that it's like even elite people can really improve skills like in most disciplines like there's a skill aspect to that right and in other sports we see this like you know soccer players or basketball players free throwing all the time right 
Um, and I think it, it's just not always evident, especially for road riders, right? Like you don't, you don't see the inefficiency standing or the, the extra braking on the descent or the corner where you have to work harder to get back into the group or even get dropped, you get popped, right? And everyone thinks it's, oh, I, I blew up and the fitness was, well, no, but if you could coast around the corner, right? Um, maybe you would still be in the group, right? And it's, it's with, with group riding on the road, it's, it's so exponential, right? The like benefit of drafting and how like one extra sprint effort can pop you off the group. Right. Right. That it's hard to see that because it's so exponential, right? We don't necessarily want to talk about exponential things at the present moment in the world, but we don't understand exponential growth, right? And how the percentage that you save by drafting or the percentage you save by not uh, grabbing the break, right? Is, is very, very beneficial. So where are we going with that signs signs and symptoms like you've injured yourself you've crashed a lot you get dropped from the group yeah i think you know this isn't just mountain bikers either right like this is in road like are you getting constantly like is every corner in a crit just like you're out the back and you have to put a ton of power down yep. um you know in, in cross same with the corners or do you have to slow down to hop onto a curb or go yeah. over a pothole or you know what do you do in those situations right like have you got plowed into a few you know potholes or curbs or or whatever where like someone bunny hopped and you didn't bunny hop right yeah exactly um so it is you know that stuff comes up and that can save crashes right even being able to lift your front wheel f if something was coming at you on the road if you can lift your front wheel over something it can make the crash less damaging right because mm-hmm. you've maybe protected from flipping over and maybe you fall to the side and get road rash and it was a crash maybe you even do a collarbone or something right but we're preventing that like over the bars where maybe your head hits or something yeah um, and that's not even talking about, what about braking right or the vision involved in group riding right like a lot of times people are so tunnel vision on the rear hub or something and they've never been taught vision right? We talk about vision and attention. So are you looking ahead and seeing what's coming and you're looking for the potholes for yourself rather than waiting for someone to point them out. Right. Yeah. But also attending and being able to pay attention to your peripheral to the riders beside you. Right. I think we've done this on the podcast once where like you, I'm looking at our sign on the wall that says consummate athlete, but I can see Molly to my right in my peripheral and she's giving me the finger and uh, moving her toes and she's holding a microphone. So if you try that experiment at home, this is what you do when you're out riding, right? Single track or again in a group ride, you're maybe like in your peripheral, you can check a car coming up to a T-junction and you're still focused ahead, right? And it's it's these things that are skills under this umbrella of skills that are, I get really excited about, I guess, right? But it can also be like game changing as far as your consistency and training, if not also in your results, right? Yeah. So, I mean, on the practical level, obviously you can practice a lot of these at home, but I mean, if you do have access to, you know, camp clinic, obviously like Peter is doing bike skills coaching. Uh, If you are in the man's field. This Sunday, women's log hop clinic. Yeah. You can find that at consummateathlete.com under the bike skills or events page. Yeah. And we're doing, you know, more of those as we can get into these more small group sessions and everything. And yeah, I mean, honestly, before I met Peter, like bike skill, I've paid for a bunch of different camps and clinics for bike skills. And it's, it's been the best money I've ever spent. Yeah. Like it's, you just learn so much and you kind of get to, I mean, honestly see what you're doing wrong too, because a lot of us who've tried to figure it out ourselves have learned some pretty bad habits. I'll say for me, mountain biking, most of my version of getting over things pretty much just means plowing into them and hoping for the best. So to kind of learn some stuff, 
Yeah. And I mean, there's there's other ways for sure. We, we've had Ryan Leach on and there's a online sort of video skills thing. So you right. can pick a skill and they take you through the progression and then you can even submit videos uh, and I coach on there as well. So you can check out the Ryan Leach connection uh, or just if you Google Ryan Leach skills or something. I should also add though, this is not just bikes, right? Like there's tons of skill stuff that could be a limiter with running. Um, even when we're talking, like if you're talking road marathon, there's a ton of skills with that. Like being able to quickly like drink on the fly, like to grab a drink at the aid station and keep running, um, you know, to be able to honestly like figure out your gut issues beforehand and like to me that sure. is a technical that's a yeah, technical I think, skill i think because my bias is towards movement and, and skills like i think i group a lot of stuff that isn't apparent sometimes under skills and that's like you say like the skill of drinking so i've done sessions with triathletes where they they were stopping to drink their water bottle during a triathlon because they didn't feel comfortable drinking while they rode and it's like well that's that's a big deal in a, a speed base. Like it's a time trial basically like it was what an Ironman is. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can't drop like people spend years trying to refine like how, how little time they're not moving right by their transitions between sports. Yeah. Oh, and transition and triathlon is a great one. Trail running obviously has a lot of the same obstacles that mountain biking has. And you know, sure you're, you're jumping over a log versus right. hopping over it with your bike, but it's still a, well, and descending a- is like a skill and, you know, I think hiking is a, a something that you can get better or worse at, but even just trail running, right, where you're picking a line the, exactly. whole, the whole time, right? Like that's a mental task and people who have trail run a lot get better and better and better at selecting a line without having to think as much about it, which in an ultra is, is huge, right? Like you can't be on all the time and eventually you will be off. And then again, that's a sprained ankle or something like this, which you might not associate with technical skill. And, and I think the, the, I guess maybe in closing, so a lot of these things I've tried to say, you know, these are ways you could train these skills, right? So a road cyclist, like it's almost like you have to go to the next technical discipline after, or at least one step, right? So road might consider cyclocross. Why else were they racing cyclocross apart from the weather, right? But that's, that's true, a, yeah. any of your cyclocrossers who also race road are generally pretty technically good, right? There's some of the present company excluded the top uh i remember like robbie McEwen and some of the big sprinters like a lot of them come from bmx which is similar in that there's like a sprint out of a gate but they're they were the ones that were they'd hop curbs like in the middle of sprints and stuff and save like what would have been a crazy crash right and their reaction time was so fast um but that's i think that's where you go to the next one right so i've tried to use downhill over the last few years and ride with more sort of enduro themed riders like more trail riders who are just really really good um and so i think that like stepping to the next discipline right you might have your downhill riders might actually step to motocross or something right Right, yeah where we're trying to get more speed and heavier and faster and more burly and bigger jumps and Right. So that would be at that extreme. But I think few of us are there. Right. But that would be where I would look. Gravel now is a maybe an intermediary for the, the road riders that they're warming up to as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Awesome. I think we'll we'll wrap up there and, uh, you know, definitely check out consummateathlete.com for the actual article. And um, if you're you know, if you've kind of heard this and you're like, wow, that's really interesting, but I'm not really sure what to do next or exactly which one to work on or how to work on. You know, I've realized my limiter is this aerobic thing, but I'm not really sure how to work on it. Um, 
you know, head over to consummateathlete.com. You can always book a phone consult with Peter and just sort of talk through what you're doing yeah, right now. Because it is nebulous, right? And it is like there's so many moving parts from who are you and what have you done and then what are you actually trying to do? Again, because sometimes the limiter gets eliminated by just sidestepping to a new discipline. Um, and sometimes not. Sometimes you still have to work on it, right? But sometimes it's helpful, you know, if you have, especially if you have like power data or run data, it's, it's easier to see and you can sort of work through that. Um, yeah, exactly. And that's what I like to do. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll, we'll wrap up on that note. Head over to consummateathlete.com for the show notes and for the article on the common limiters holding you back from your athletic goals. Thanks so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Hey everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to the consummate athlete podcast. While you still have your podcast app open, do us a huge favor, head over to iTunes or whatever app you're listening in and rate and review the podcast. It's super helpful. It, you know, gets us more guests on the show. It gets me a dog. Um, and it's just, you know, a good way to give back if we've provided any kind of value to you throughout all of the episodes you've listened to. If you're looking for the show notes, you can find those at www.consummateathlete.com. We have lots of other content over there and any information about coaching or events can also be found at that same website. And you can find us on the social medias at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.